I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Fan Zone Debate. Uh, I think we got a good one for you here today. We got uh, Jacoby Bancroft. We haven't seen him since, uh, I believe, the beginning of the season when he took on uh, Rue uh, in, a, in a very good match. Uh, Rue going on to uh, challenge uh, Kirk. Uh, for the title at the time uh so uh, a great match there and then we got him going up against cody newberry who also just lost to kirk so both of these guys their last outings uh losing to kirk for the title and now they're back to play each other uh it's gonna be fun gonna be interesting um i i i don't know what's gonna happen this is gonna be weird these guys have very different uh play styles uh me and brian are like very seasoned at this point when it comes to the judging and everything and then i'm just like hey scully you want to come die <laughs> so <laughs> he just showed up for it so i'm always down for a bad time <laughs> but like i said we got brian and scully here uh brian we'll start with you how you doing tonight and are you looking forward to this one um i'm doing pretty good mm -hmm. i i would rather die watching debate like this than die watching some of the other kinds of debates we've had to judge so i'm really looking forward to this one <laughs> Uh, Jacoby, known as kind of a fun guy and a jokester, uh, but he's clearly a formidable debater uh, when he gets down to it, as we could saw in his previous run. And Cody sometimes has opinions that he likes to argue about. So, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, former uh, former champion of the league, Jacoby. I forgot to mention earlier when he when he played Kirk, um, and um, I hate him eternally because he took my belt. I'm just kidding, Jacoby. Love you, uh, Scully. You're here as well. Uh, I didn't. I purposely don't tell people what matches I need <laughs> them to judge for because I know that sometimes they might just say no. So I'm like, hey, can you judge a debate? Sure. Throw you in the green room. Ah, fuck. Uh, but uh, I think you're here for a good one. How are you feeling, Scully? Yeah, and this is this will be fun. These are two very um, passionate people, so to speak. Um, Jacoby a little bit more on the, on the in the chaotic good side. Cody very much in the in in in, in the in the true evil sense that you know you say the wrong thing. That's like like lighting a firework. Um, and we're all Jason Pierre Paul, so uh, we'll see if we have all of our fingers at the end of this. It's fair. I, I think I can predict what they would say in opening interviews already. Like, I don't even know if we need to bring them in. Cody's going to be like, huh, I lost that hack Kirk, fuck Blade Runner, and fuck, <laughs> fuck the Terminator. And then Jacoby's going to be like, I get so nervous doing this, but I love doing it. Oh, my God. So uh, I think those are the tunes we're going to hear. Uh, but we'll see. And we're going to start by bringing in the lower-ranked uh, player, Mr. Newberry. Cody, welcome to the arena. Uh, you are here to play Jacoby. Um, I announced that you'd be playing Jacoby earlier, and ever since I told you that, you said, "When do I get? Him? When do I get to play Jacoby?" And then I made the green room, and you said, "You son of a bitch!" And now you're here, and we're actually doing it. Uh, how do you feel? A uh, few things. Roy Batty, piece of shit villain. Um, Brooklyn Vale, I hate you. Uh, three, uh, me and Jacoby can agree that Kirk is a hack and uh, Jacoby shouldn't have lost to Kirk. And no, I love to Kirk. So, Kirk, you guys are a favorite of Kirk's and we don't like you for that. No, it's going to be fun. Um, I'm glad me and Jacoby kind of had the same idea for this debate is we wanted to argue stuff that we enjoy versus just try to find something that's weak in their regards. That's what I tried to offer to Kirk, but Kirk's like, no, have you ever seen Kurosawa? It's fantastic. And then, um, 
You ever seen Day of the Dead? Like, no one cares. It's terrible, too. Uh, listen, I'm just excited because we picked four things that we we like for the most part, I think, and we'll be able to at least have a good debate. Um, if he beats me, he was the former champion. He has every right to come back and go for that belt again. If I win, I've seen some of the debate that has went on. Uh, no one's deserving to play Kirk in that field, but it's all right. Um, I'll get my shot at some point. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Cody, uh, looking forward to it as we bring in uh, Jacoby. Jacoby, welcome. You have a mustache. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. I mean, that's, that's all we need to do. Yeah. Is that all we need to talk about? Uh, no. Uh, the last time we saw you, you played Rue in the season opener. You were mad at me then. Uh, and now uh, you're playing Cody. Are you still mad at me or can we be friends again? I just need to say that I am so nervous. I don't know why I do this, but I also know why it's because this is a lot of fun. And that's at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? So it's like a really weird love-hate relationship. Cody is interesting debater and an in- interesting presence in this league. And a part of me is excited to see him yell at me because I love a good Cody yell. Um, but a part of me is very afraid of it. So, so it's going to be a wild time. So I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. I think. I think that's the first time I've ever heard somebody say, I love a good Cody L. <laughs> God. Uh, anyway, uh, this is going to be a very exciting match. I'm looking forward to it. So guys, uh, here's how the show is going to work. Uh, the players have drafted uh, categories, and then I gave them questions based off of those categories that they are going to debate tonight <laughs> for our very souls. So uh, each question, you guys are going to get a one-minute opening, followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing. Uh, and there are four of those prep questions. So first person to three is the winner. Uh, if we are tied two to two coming out of those prep questions, we will go to a bonus speed round debate question. Uh, gentlemen, do you have any questions about how this mm. is going? No. Let's like have a good match, Cody. Let's okay. try. Oh, I know what I missed. Brian, Scully, and I are going to vote. And we're going to vote on our boards. Best two out of three wins the point. So there you go. Uh, all right. Then let's get into it. I agree with Brian. I'm very excited for this because it's actually people who know how to debate for once. Uh, Don't put that pressure on us. It's been a while. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Uh, All right. So we're going to get right into this, starting with the first question, which was drafted by Mr. Bancroft. Uh, This was in the category of uh, science fiction, specifically Jurassic Park. And the question is, what is the best dinosaur moment in a Jurassic sequel, specifically The Lost World and Three are the two movies we're looking at today. Uh, so, Jacoby, you will get to uh, start this one because you drafted the question, and you will get one minute to open your argument when you start talking, and I will come in to give you a 10-second countdown. All right. 
Okay, the best dinosaur moment in the Jurassic sequels is the Pteranodon attack in Jurassic Park 3. I think this scene really highlights everything fun, scary, and thrilling about this franchise. The way this scene is constructed is actually quite cool when you break down how much awesome stuff they fit into this relatively short sequence. You have the dread as they're surrounded by fog, the slow realization that they're in a giant birdcage, the emerging of the Pteranodon from the mist, the epic chase that goes along with this, the redemption and sacrifice sacrifice of a shitty character, the slow turn from the Pteranodon at the end. All of this is what makes the Jurassic Park franchise so exhilarating. I think the best dinosaur moment from the sequels should be the one that's exciting and new and actually gives you something to talk about. My scene introduces a brand new dinosaur threat that gives the overall movie a shot in the arm and is arguably the best sequence in the movie. That's why the Pteranodon attack totally rules. All right. Uh, Cody, we will move over to you. You now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. It's funny that he used highlight because you can't see shit in that scene, but I'll talk about that at a later moment. My scene I picked from The Lost World Jurassic Park, um, I think the thing about a sequel is you have to like pay a little bit of homage to the original, but also like expand the world and continue on. So I picked the Compies Attack of Dietrich where they eat him basically alive in the Lost World Jurassic Park. The thing I love about the first Jurassic Park is the horror elements, the overall like fear of where these dinosaurs come from, and I think nothing describes that more than this scene. It's basically a callback. Dietrich's being a dick, shocks one of them with a, a, a taser, and then they all come out, and he's like, oh, they're just little, I'll kick him around, and then they end up taking him down in kind of a brutal manner and eating him. Um, I think it just brings back that horror elements of the first one that makes you super, uh, that makes you fearful of the dinosaurs. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Uh, so you guys are going to have five minute free form when there is a one minute left. I will throw that up on screen for you guys. And then I will come in uh, for the 10 second count like I did before. But please no talking over each other or I will come in and beat you with a stick. Have a good time. All right, um, here's my issue with Dieter's death. Cody, do you know your sequence is like five minutes long? Like five minutes to watch one guy die. The idea of Dieter getting like a comeuppance is nice, but the execution is bloated. You say it's 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 horror, but it's not. It's just, it's just overdrawn. Like we watch Dieter yell for help. We watch him stumble. The compies come in it's like goofy. Then they run away. Then they come back. Then they run away and they come back. And it just takes so long for anything to happen in that scene where my scene attack um, is actually, an, actually a horror horrific scene in the way that it's structured way more than yours is yeah i mean i think yours gets the shock value of the new dinosaur but the spinosaurus is also introduced i think if you're going to pick one from three the t-rex versus spinosaurus would have been the one to choose from three but three is an abomination in itself listen i think the foggy stuff it's very hard to see what's going on a dinosaur walking down something to try to like intimidate the characters and when you see them fly yeah it's cool to see a dino fly but overall movies in the Pre, uh, that go later do it better and overall i think the only shock value you get is because it's new it's surrounded by the water you see the fly you see the stuff but overall that doesn't make your scene any better i think with Dietrich getting hunted down in a slow methodical thing if the t-rex would have broken out of the cage in the very first one and just ate the kids the movie's not that exciting the slow methodical track down of Dietrich where he eats them it pays off pretty well 
I don't think it does pay off super well because of how long that it takes to actually happen. I mean, Dieter's death is an anomaly. You say it's like for anything new in there. We already had a better compy scene at the beginning of The Lost World when she, they attack a little girl at the beginning and she's and she's horrified. At that point, you've established that the compies are a threat. So all the horror of the scene is gone. All the surprise is gone. That's why my scene is better because we don't know at that point that the pteranodons are these very scary threats. We never thought that they could be. But the reveal of just like, like, oh God, they're in a bird cage right now. What does that mean? And then the way the Pteranodon emerges from the mist, you say the scene is dark, but the scene actually uses its darkness to its advantage in order to be exciting and thrilling instead of just long and just like, okay, Dieter dies. That's it. I mean, you you can say the first one, they use the compies and they scare it. We don't see anything that happens with the girl. There's a bunch of scream that's going. It's implied, but overall, I'm taking through the dino moments of pain. I think you're taking the five minutes is a little bit drawn out. I do not think that it feels that long or it's that long of a scene. You basically see what happens. Yeah, they run off scared. He's kicking them away. He's going, and then they start piling up more in numbers, take him out, eat him. They rip at the nose, and then they jump behind that log and they feel. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I think the horror elements work really well. Again, I don't disagree. Yes, it's dark in your scene, and I think they try to use that. The problem is they use it as a disadvantage. It's hard to see what's going on. And many times in the Jurassic Park trilogy that we're basically in, the track down of them hunting down the humans, but, oh, something falls, and they fall into the water, and nothing really happens. And then they use the character to eat off the one character that's pointless in the film you said it yourself in the thing i'm saying i think you're 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 sitting there as a nine-year-old cool ooh, flying dino but overall doesn't live up to the hype of what they could actually do in that film I don't they don't rip them apart about. nothing dinosaurs are awesome and they're supposed to be awesome they're supposed to be thrilling and they're supposed to be exciting i'm sorry the compies are not so much because uh we talked about the character who who gets just totally destroyed by 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 Dieter? But the fact is that when um, he's a character who gets ripped apart, it's it's like yeah, of course that he should die. Billy actually goes through something where he is a shitty character, and then he gets a moment of redemption. It's actually a character growth moment there. While all the stuff is happening, while they're being attacked by giant birds in the sky, while Alan Grant is fighting a pteranodon in a cage, while Alex is trying to fight off being eaten by the Wait. little baby birds. I'm saying all that stuff is what Jurassic Park should be. You keep saying. Your moment harkens back to how cool, you know, and horror like the original Jurassic Park was, but that's not like it's it's not. It's just one individual scene where I'm saying my moment is better and encapsulates what Jurassic Park should be and why it should be exciting. Well, I think it's really weird that you're using some stuff as like it uh, facts, but they're really not. Island Grant really doesn't fight off anything. When they drop off the kid in the nest, they he runs away from it. There's no real... I don't know what you're talking about. There's no real fear in that thing. You see them flying. You see them in the parachute. There's the cool the cool elements of both. I guess we both... I'm sorry the compies aren't exciting for you. I loved it. He shocks someone with a taser gun, and they get their revenge on him. It's perfect. It's exactly what happened to Dick characters inside Jurassic Park. You used one where, I'm telling you, you haven't argued. They, the, pteranod, the humans inside that cage were never fear of anything of those characters at all. Classic Jurassic Park. Because they just march down, and then the thing collapses, and it lands on top of it. The one thing that's going to attack the real main characters from the thing. It's not You're a saying cool you don't like your main it's characters a, in danger, but the main characters in the situation, what I, makes it awesome? What makes it awesome? Strike it from the record. Uh, Main characters in what? <laughs> uh, Cody, you are going to get to close first. You have one minute when you start talking. 
I think the overall cool moment of it is basically the the revenge of the compies coming for Dietrich and ripping him to shreds. I think that's awesome inside of Jurassic Park. It's the same way we like to win. I can't think of the game, but Newman gets eaten by the thing inside his truck in the first one. It's those characters that dick around with dinosaurs and then get fucked up by it. The overall, the one thing the three didn't do is, oh, we need a flying dino. They bring in the flying, and I guess flying was cool. It never seemed cool to me. It was very boring, and it's hard to see what the hell's going on. The main characters, classic Jurassic Park, where they have the hunt down of the character, he doesn't do anything to Alan Grant or any of the characters. He falls and gets landed on, and the one character that's a dickhole that gets some redemption that Jacoby tries to explain gets eaten and done. They don't rip them to shreds. They could have done so much more that the other movies shown in future that they do. They don't do it in this one, and that's one of the major problems. They just pick up and drop, pick up and drop. I don't care about carrier pigeons at the end of the day. My thing is, the compie's ripping Dietrich Descare. He's a dick character. He gets his revenge. They get their revenge. It's an awesome scene. It's a great dynamo. I didn't hear what the last word you said was, because I said Good. strike it. Keep it me. in. Nope, keep it. Uh, so, uh, we'll bring in Jacoby. You have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. I think both of our scenes end with someone getting pecked. And I asked you what's better watching uh tiny, annoying squirrels bite someone or watching gigantic skeletal beasts thrash and tear somebody apart. The pteranodon attack is a lot of fun. It's exciting. And a lot of cool individual moments happen around it. it you All the criticism that Cody said about it, like it's dark, the scene uses to its advantage to create the scenario about that. And Cody's instances are so rooted in just like, well, it's just it's just like what happened in Jurassic Park. It's just like what happened with Wayne, uh, Wayne Knight's character and everything. It's the same thing happening. My scene actually introduces something new and exciting to the franchise and doesn't do it in a way that's bloative and repetitive and not as exciting as, you know, as, as Cody's scenes is. I think my scene represents the best of, of my movie, while Cody's scene represents, like, the worst of his. I mean, these beasts are ruthless and they're scary, and the movie is able to highlight that well in a not very silly scene like Cody's. So that's why I think the Pteranodon attack is the much better dinosaur moment in the dinosaur franchise. All right. Please kill me slowly. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> um, okay. What did I do with my marker? Oh, no. Oh, we might have to pause. Never mind. I found it. It was in my pocket. Okay. <laughs> Are you guys both good to go? Okay, um, I will start. This was good. Yay. Thank you. Uh, I went with Jacoby. Um, I thought that Jacoby's closing was really strong. Up to that point, they were kind of even for me. And I thought Cody's closing was really strong too. But Jacoby's point about kind of turning one of Cody's strong points for me of like, it harkens back. Jacoby kind of using that as like a it's actually just a worse version of that and it's not exciting in my scene while having the great dinosaur stuff um also um is something new and fresh in the franchise as well and that the criticisms that Cody brought up were actually like real highlights and not bad things but honestly it it, it was really close I thought they did a good job of like the back and forth, like every punch the other person took, it kind of like 
they kind of equaled each other out until the closing. It kind of, the closing. I thought Jacoby's closing was just stronger. So, uh, Brian, where are you going? Uh, yeah, this is an interesting debate because I think they were uh, two very different moments. Like one, they talk about yeah. his redemption, and the other one's more of a comeuppance and revenge. And so it's kind of like two different things. So I mean, they're both good moments. Um, I did end up voting for Jacoby. Um, while I do not agree with him that uh, that the uh, copy scene represents you know the worst of that movie because it, no. it's actually I like that scene quite a bit. I do too. <laughs> um, but I I do think that his strongest point was basically how he took the attacks about the fog and the darkness and that and said that's the point it uses to its advantage and that's that's what makes it so dreadful. Okay, uh, Thomas, where are you going and why? You're muted. I'm oh, muted. So sorry. Uh, I went with Jacoby as well. Um, purely because I think he was able to hammer on the uniqueness factor of his scene and 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 make it its its own special scene with newer newer elements added to this universe. Also, I think Jacoby was able to make um, a higher quantity of rebuttals against Cody's points, whereas I think Cody kept playing defense on the same three points that, that Jacoby just kept hammering on. Um, and I think gave Cody less less time to construct his overall argument. Um, so I think that was a really good job, really a well-done job by Jacoby to do that. Okay. All right, so Jacoby wins the first point, but we are going to move on to the second question, uh, which was drafted by Cody, and it is going to come in the category of Pixar. And your question is, if I can find it, your question is, uh, what is the best Pixar sequel or spinoff? Uh, so, Cody, you drafted this, so you get to go first. What is the best Pixar sequel or spinoff? One minute when you start talking. Um, the best sequel for a Pixar for me, and it's not close, is Toy Story 2. Um, Toy Story 2 um, built, the, the world was built in the first one, and it was expanded and introduced uh, characters throughout it that actually had meaning and uh, purpose throughout the story. Um, it has some of the best sequences of all time in it. I think that airport scene is in an animated movie is one of the best when somebody loved me um, by the introduction of Jesse and why she um, uh, does not, um, you know, want to the life that Woody wants Woody basically being the leader and kind of being taken over by buzz and finding and his actual purpose in life and still deciding to be with the friends. We get Buzz's backstory of him and Zerg and that entire story, which is still the best thing it's ever done in a, a Pixar sequel for Zerg. Um, I think we get an awesome villain, a prospector Pete that actually has the you know, same uh, motives of why he doesn't want to be there. Uh, Toy Story 2. That's what time. All right. Uh, we'll move over to Jacoby who has one minute to open his argument when he starts talking. Um, we both picked really great sequels, so I think this is going to be an interesting one, but I have to argue why Toy Story 3 is the better sequel than Toy Story 2, and I think what it comes down to is what the movies are ultimately saying. Toy Story 2 is great because, as Cody said, it introduces new ideas and new characters to make a really exciting film, but Toy Story 3 takes all those ideas introduced in both Toy Story 1 and 2 and gives them a proper emotional and exciting conclusion. I mean, Toy Story 3 had the harder job of making a trilogy 
trilogy ender and it just knocked it out of the park uh, from the fantastic uh, the, like the western opening that ties into the first film but makes it better um, to its follow through on the idea set forth in Toy Story 2 regarding what happens when Andy grows up to its really awesome prison break sequence that feels like a step up from what we got in Toy Story 2 and of course its whole final act which is both emotional and incredibly tense and I think all of those elements and for what the, the trilogy ender was able to do is what makes Toy Story 3 the best Pixar sequel. Time. Okay. No one wanted Cars 2, I see. Uh, right there. I was this close. <laughs> all right. Uh, you guys have five minute free form and one of you starts talking. Um, so overall, I think that you picked my movie just done uh, later in life. Um, I'm basically, your your movie is very, very reminiscent of two, and it's shown in even up to the villain. Um, my thing is, with your movie, it's an emotional manipulation movie. It's That's basically all it is. Um, there's many, many moments to make all those people that grew up with those characters to cry in the theaters and make them upset. And then they try to do that emotional payoff at the very end where they give away the character to this kid that you're supposed to automatically care for, but you don't care for. And that's the whole point of this movie. This movie was a cash grab from Disney. It, it, the only, the only reason Pixar, the only reason it gets as much price as it does is because of its acclaim and its best picture nomination and everything over. Overall, they were never going to burn in that furnace. There was nothing more. That's it. See, but I don't actually don't think it's manipulative because it actually feels earned. And I think all my emotional moments hit hard because they're rooted in history and character. When Andy waves goodbye, we know how much this means to him. When the toys hold hands in the incinerator because they would rather die together than alone, it's because of everything that they've gone through in the last 20 years. When the claw rescues them, it's the perfect payoff. All those moments are earned. And screw you for saying my movie is manipulative. The Jesse scene is great, but my scenes don't need a Sarah McLachlan song to play over it to make it sad. So due to that my thing is you're sitting there in the holding hands in the theater even though that your movie literally takes all the characters moves them completely away from their original beings and who they are as characters throws in a bunch of new characters that don't have any any staying power in the franchise whatsoever and that's a one major take they lotso is basically prospector pete but stuck to a tr garbage truck he does not have any emotional arc he does the exact same thing he only keeps the toys around for his own personal gain the same thing the prospector pete does in the very first one yeah mine may have a sarah mclaughlin but overall all the characters introduce al the woody's roundup everything introduces jesse as an actual good character and not a ripoff buzz that yours gets in that then the three and forgets who Buzz is as a total character in number three. I totally disagree with that statement about, Sorry, Buzz, about how it is. I will because it does. Because what Buzz does, and it, yes, he has the Spanish mode with a lot of people don't really like for that. But what sidelining Buzz does a little bit in that movie gives room for every other of the characters to grow a little bit. Gives Rex, gives Jesse, gives Mr. Potato Head, gives uh, the piggy bank. I forgot his name for a second there. All things to do more. And that's what the franchise is. It's about all these toys. Toy Story 2 is very Buzz focused and that's great. But I like my Toy Story to have a lot of toys in it. And you say what does yours do more? It does what everything what? that yours really no, does, except you better, Cody. You said a bunch of your characters get to do more in the film. That's a total yeah. bullshit. They introduce, a ton of new, whole, they introduce a whole bunch of new characters, but my introduce the actual team has to save Woody from it. They're actually a team of film. They actually get to the airport. They actually help everybody through. Yours is a bunch of characters that are introduced. The only standout from your new movie is Ken. That's the only standout from the new movie. All and this toy character, by the way, right? right. They but this one doesn't do anything beyond that. Hold on, hold on. They say they all they, they don't get to do anything, but that's in Toy Story 2, All Buzz does is lead them there and they make quips. My toys, the stars of the 
the movie actually get to be involved in the prison break process. You watch those scenes and they're all involved in some capacity and working for it. And they're all working congruently together. It's different than following Buzz to go do things and then working together to do that. And my movie is just more fun. I'm sorry. The way that it, it constructs all these scenes together is just better. It's better than watching them walk from... Uh, the house to get Andy. They do actually more exciting things with it in terms of prison breaks, in terms of that whole incinerating thing. And in front, and just I'll say, and just for uh, Lotso being a discount, Pete Lotso does what everything he does. And Pete is just an out and out villain. He's there's no interesting layers to him whatsoever. Lotso is the one who has the deeper backstory with Big Baby that we get to watch. Your, your character gets a backstory, but he does the exact same things. I'm sorry. I have a really confusing. You're saying this prison break like it's a great thing. Think of another thing that's like a prison break that happens. Oh, maybe in the second one when they have to break Woody out, they just copy it and put it in your movie and move How on. They, you're, you're, they, you're clean. they ram through the vent where oh, Rex actually gets a point to it. I'm saying that my movie actually, you're saying yours you're develops more. My characters are all still the gang together and they're all united and they're all helping and introducing very good characters. Toward, uh, that plane scene at the very end where Buzz ha or where Woody has to get Jesse out of the luggage and get her out and swing through, that's reminiscent of the first one. That's that heart, that's that soul from the movie that you love. I'm sorry that you're claiming that your movie's more fun as a thing. I don't know where that's even measurable, but mine, it treats Toy Story as actual characters, not one-off characters introduced with a bunch of new characters that don't mean anything to the plot, and we they're get not. Bonnie to get dropped off at the very end that no one cares about. You keep the, saying the it's an emotional movie and they're burning in the entire the finale at the end, which is much better. My in Toy Story uh, 3. Suck it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jacoby. <laughs> Sorry, just the strike suck it from the record, please. All right. Please uh, keep uh, that in the record. Jacoby, okay, fine. We can keep it in. Uh, Jacoby, uh, you get one minute to close when you start talking. I think it's easier to make excellent second films in franchises. Like if you think of all the great sequels, Empire Strikes Back, Dark Knight, Godfather Part Two, and so many of them are all great because they expand their worlds and their themes and their characters. But the pattern is that the third movie in a lot of those franchises with a fantastic second film doesn't live up to the high bar set before. Toy Story 3 is different. It's able to provide a more satisfying conclusion by fully embracing and concluding ideas in both the original and the second film. And I think that's a much harder job in general for a franchise which is why Toy Story 3 is the best sequel. I know we've been attacking these movies a lot, but a lot of them are is pretty much the same thing. It's only about their earned moments that come afterwards. And the, and the better earned moments are in Toy Story 3. Looking at what Toy Story 3 does as a trilogy ender is so rare. And because it had the harder job of tying everything up and doing so in a literal perfect way that paralleled most of our experiences with this franchise and adulthood in general is what sets it apart. I think Toy Story 2 is a great sequel, but I think Toy Story 3 is the best sequel sequel time okay uh we'll move over to cody who has one minute when he starts talking you can use the cheat track about empire and all that stuff the second one to create a perfect film but my overall arc is my characters were able to develop from the first one get expanded 
create the world, make it bigger, and make people care about these characters even more. Your character uses them as punchlines throughout the without three, makes them not care about them, introduces a bunch of new characters that we do not get to expand on and we do not care about. The Incinerator is a cheap trick that this, that Pixar used the same reason because Up came out a year prior and made everybody cry in the theater and they used a cheap thing that they're holding hands and going to die in the Incinerator. That was never going to happen. They were never going to burn toys alive. We all knew that, but everybody cried. It's a cheap, it's cheap uh, emotional manipulation. At the end of the day, Toy Story 2 treats these characters, introduces these fantastic characters, and actually has some thrilling moments throughout the entire arc of the movie. Yours is my movie, just redone. Lotso is Prospector Pete. It's it's nothing different. Okay. Uh, bring in the judges. Okay. Are we good judges? All right, Scully, you're going to kick this off. Okay. Um, make sure I'm not muted. I'm not muted. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I think both competitors had strong arguments, but I think the further it went on, especially in the closing arguments, Cody took it home. I think especially in the last minute, he really turns it up um, by really saying how three was more of you know kind, kind of doing two two but in a, a lesser sort of way and i think in jacoby's um one minute closing i think he accidentally inadvertently moved the goalpost on his own argument with the whole second in a trilogy it's hard it's hard to make a good third than a good second so i think the backpedaling there solidified cody's argument a lot more um and i think he accidentally ended up proving cody correct so i went with cody for this one Interesting. I did not see that as backpedaling personally. I thought Jacoby's closing argument was very good. Um, I took it as him saying that, like, yes, two is good, and sequels are are can always or like he basically said all sequels are always good, which is not true. But in the form of the argument, what he said, um, I got what he was going for of saying like, yes, two is good, but three is even better. At the end of the day, I still voted for Cody. Um, I thought that Cody did a really good job of basically I, I thought what kind of did it for me was his whole argument about yeah, Ken is a great character, but otherwise Lotso is just a prospector Pete uh ripoff. And um sure you get to see some backstory for him, but other at the end of the day, it's still the same character and that um we knew they were never gonna like uh, burn up and that like Ken is the only good new character everything else is like all the other characters like you don't get anything from them um, he also posed the question at one point of like what do these toys like do that like these standout moments you're talking about and Jacoby didn't really give us anything like if Jacoby had been like oh we get the great like tortilla thing with Mr. Potato Head and like uh, bringing up uh, stuff like that like that could have maybe swayed it a different way, but he didn't. Uh, so at the end of the day, yeah, I went with uh, I went with Cody. So he wins the point. Brian, where are you voting and why? Oh, well, first of all, I thought this was a great debate. I think that yeah. everybody like really stepped up both the intensity and everything in, in this uh, in this one. Uh, early on, actually, I was leaning towards uh, Jacoby. I thought he was really on fire with some of his early arguments. Then Cody came back though and started hitting with a lot of stuff about like the new characters now they have no lasting power. 
uh, have a lot. So it's just, you know, like Prospect Pete and things like that. I did actually end up going for Jacoby, though. Um, I think that he did a good job of, of defending the attacks by emotional manipulation, um, saying how it was all properly earned. I think in his, uh, he did a lot of good talking about how, you know, this was kind of the rare, you know, great ender had the perfect ending to the to the to their story. Um, although, if I was Cody, I would have attacked the fact that it wasn't the ending because they went for the real cash grab, which was four. Um, but I won't talk about that one. Uh, but yeah, but I voted for Jacoby. All right, so we are all tied up one to one going into the third question. Uh, so this next question was drafted by Jacoby. It is in the category of the MCU, and the question is. Who would you cast as Wolverine in an upcoming MCU film? Uh, so, Jacoby, you get to start this one. You have one minute when you start talking. Uh, She-Hulk recently had an Easter egg news headline that said, Man fights with metal claws in bar brawl. Obviously, I think that's a Wolverine reference. And if, and if I asked you, who do you picture more starting a knockdown, brutal, savage, gritty bar brawl? Do you see Taron Edgerton or Carl Urban? Taron Edgerton is a gentleman in bar fights. Carl Urban would burn the whole place down. Wolverine is a wild animal in human clothes. He should be portrayed as someone who looks like they'll snap at you if you look at them the wrong way. Someone who's clearly been around for decades and a little world weary but underneath the gruff exterior you'll find like a good sense of justice carl urban is so perfect for the mcu's wolverine not only because of you know his crazed wild eyes you know and his hulking beefing bulky frame and his intimidating personality but because an older wolverine fits the character better and fits the mcu better carl urban is wolverine come to life and he's awesome <laughs> all right <laughs> all right let's move over to cody who has one when he starts talking yeah so i picked somebody in the mcu because i want somebody to have staying power inside the mcu i'm glad you brought up she hulk but that doesn't mean shit here sorry to drop that nugget on you but it's not in fans of um but my thing is taron edgerton is literally a character that i think could play wolverine for the next 20 years um the whole thing is we just had we just had hugh jackman play the character for so long and i want a character to be able to have lasting power throughout and um and to pay, uh, play him you just pick somebody that literally hugh jackman just retired from the role at age 50. also not to mention he's already in the mcu you picked another character that already has a role inside the mcu and putting him into another character that makes no sense Everybody says Taron Henderson. Yes, he's smaller stature. That's what Wolverine is. I think he could actually fit into the part. There's people like Dana Ratcliffe, other people that have been mentioned, also smaller size. I want somebody to be able to play him, and I think he has the uh, acting ability to rise to the occasion. All right. Taron Edgerton versus Carl Urban. Five-minute freeform when one of you starts talking. Taron Edgerton is a spectacularly bad choice for Wolverine. You're thinking in that studio producer mindset of trying to pick someone lo lo young and popular who you can lock down for 20 years, as you said. But here's the thing. Wolverine shouldn't be young or that popular. He's supposed to be rough, who has the potential to go berserk if they get too angry. Two types of Taron Edgerton roles are incredibly suave and charming, or he's got the baby face G. Willikers, Mr. Energy, that doesn't work for the Wolverine character. Whereas Carl Urban embodies this inner rage that's ready to be unleashed. And right off the bat, you 
say he's already played a part. Gemma Chan played two characters, a side villain in Captain Marvel and then a uh, main character in Eternals. Uh, Mahershala Ali played a side character in Luke Cage and then a main character in Blade. It doesn't Luke matter. Luke Cage doesn't count, matter. It doesn't matter that he's played it. When he fits the character so well, the fact that he's already part of it isn't an issue and he's better fits the character than your actor. Uh, see, I, I understand. I, I like people people become actors and they change and they're able to develop and become other actors. Just because they've played something certain doesn't mean they can't grow and become something else and act like something else. I'm looking for a Wolverine to be more like the nineties comic. I want I want the costume, I want overall, I want that character. Uh, you picked basically an older Hugh Jackman to play the role. Hugh Jackman retired from the role. Hold on. Hugh Jackman retired from the role because it was too much of a strain on his body. He's going to be 60. You brought up something that we can't even argue in this debate. It doesn't matter what happens in the bar fight. But at the end of the day, I would like some other actors to get opportunities to play other roles. Your guy was literally in Thor. People are going to look at that and be like, wasn't that the guy from Thor? Yeah, that was a guy from Thor. Click somebody else other than that. You just reused another character. Luke Cage doesn't matter, by the way. Too. Just okay. okay. Okay, it doesn't matter. And you keep saying, like, oh, uh, that he's too old for. But here's the thing. Carl's urban age means Wolverine wouldn't be the main character in an X-Men movie. But guess what? That's a good thing. We've had 20 years of Hugh Jackman being the face of the X-Men with his Wolverine. And frankly, the MCU should not do that. They should focus on other mutants who have been sidelined all these years. Having Taron Egerton as Wolverine puts him as the main character that we're going to follow again and rehash all the stories that we just saw again. Carl Urban as the old weary, brutal, savage Wolverine who's off to the side and part of the X-Men but not the leader of the X-Men is better overall for the franchise. So get out of here because you're just trying to rehatch everything that we just did again and, and I, I, an actor who's horrible for the role. I think it's just weird that we're having this conversation about like you're pitching what I'm wanting to do but my overall I want the X-Men to be a team and I don't expect him to be the lead. I want him to be with the youth thing and you're saying all oh, the character things we've already had before and blah 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 we haven't had the x-men in the mcu with actual great direction and that's what i want the whole thing is i want somebody to be able to take the x-men and treat them as a team and wolverine is a piece of the team not a leader of the team your guy would literally be the guy they already have professor X. can you let me talk for a second without making just grand stands please well, I am. I'm saying the whole thing is you're telling me I'm picking a character that does not work in the role, but overall, he. if you would have told me, hey, could he play Elton John, I would have said absolutely not. He played Elton John. He did a fantastic job. There's actors that grow and make characters. He could, he could don the claws and be that person. There's nothing wrong with a character already ex exerting the energy that a character has and casting them for that. That's something the MCU should embrace. And I'm you're flip-flopping, it seems like, on what you're talking about. Like, oh, Taron Egerton can be Wolverine, but he doesn't have to be the lead of Wolverine. Taron Egerton is one of the, the hottest up-and-comers there. You don't cast him as the side character. So I don't know what you're talking about. Carl Urban is the perfect level of actor to bring something interesting to Wolverine, to do the character justice as it should, and, and do... and move the mcu forward in a way that doesn't rehash what came before you're just you're basically trying to redo the fox franchise you said like oh but better direction what does that have to do with anything here carl urban fits the character better and that's okay you don't have to bend okay. to the will of that 
my 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 biggest confusion with you is that you're saying I'm I'm saying what I want. I want him to be actual team. There's never been an X Men movie yet that's come about that's actually a team movie. There's never been a team movie. It's always Wolverine and a sidekick of mutants. I want an actual character to have to be a filling point in the MCU. I don't need a rough and grumble guy that you want. I don't understand what you that said means. You wanted Wolverine from the nineties. I Sorry. do. In the suit, I want him in the suit. I want him shaped like that. But I nice in a Taron Egerton sort of way. Oh my gosh! Can you shut the fuck? Like I got to be able to say my stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Carl Urban is already in the MCU. He's already past the age. He will not be able to carry the mantle. And if you want an old guy leading the team, his name is Professor X, and he's already in charge. I don't understand why you're wanting another character that's already buried in the MCU to do the same thing that Hugh Jackman just did, but the lesser version of it. We're gonna see the lesser version of it for the next twenty years. All right. Uh, I, I can't. I can't keep debating if I can't get a word in. Sorry, like sorry. I've literally paused numerous times and every time. All right. Sorry, Cody. Okay. Um, Cody, you're going first, so you have one minute to close when you start talking. I think the main problem with the Fox X-Men is they've always fumbled the bag when they had characters. They treated X-Men as, they treated Wolverine as the main star, and he's always in the forefront because Hugh Jackman was that. The thing is, I want the X-Men to be a team, and I think Tara Engerton is the perfect person to put into the team. X-Men First Class is one of those perfect movies that come along where they introduce the team as a team dynamic, and then they have the people leading them. I want Taron Egerton to be that character for him for the next couple, for the next decade or more. I think he can play that role. Just because he doesn't look like the character or he hasn't done a role like that before does not mean he can't put on a role and do that thing. Carl Urban is already imprinted in, already in the MCU. The only thing he's getting picked for is because he's in The Boys and that's very popular. Overall, I think he is already in the MCU. He's going to do a Hugh Jackman Diet Coke version and everybody's going to compare it to him. I don't see him doing anything different than we didn't see. He's retiring. Hugh Jackman retired as old man Logan at the same age that Carl Urban would be taking on the mantle. That makes no sense. I don't want to see my Wolverine sit down and tell a bunch of kids what to go do. Time. Okay. I'll move over to Jacoby. One minute when you start talking. Uh, Taron Egerton is a great actor, but just the wrong choice for Wolverine. I mean, he's charismatic, compelling to watch, and has the energy and personality that people gravitate to. He could be a great leader, um, but I don't think the MCU's Wolverine shouldn't be any of those things. Cody's argument about the fact that, yeah, we could cast Taron Egerton, but also make him a side character and not uh, not the A-lister. But you don't do that when you cast Taron Egerton in a role. I think Taron Egerton will work in any other role, any other mutant, but not Wolverine. Wolverine should be brutal, a little dirty, maybe sort of an asshole in like a straightforward and honest way. And someone who just exudes danger and unpredictability. Carl Urban can do that in a way Taron Egerton can't. Um, it does set up my, uh, Carl Urban does set up um, the Wolverine character for more long-term success because then we don't just get a Hashman era, just rehash of everything that's happening because it does so in a different way with an actor who embodies the role so well. You have to severely alter the Wolverine character to make Taron Egerton right for the role where Urban already embodies everything great about the character and can do more interesting things as time goes on time okie dokie <laughs> i love it when we come back and brian is doing the <laughs> well, i don't know I, 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 this is the toughest one for me um this was the hardest one
Okay, I'm ready. I am too. Sorry, Cody. Okay, I guess. <laughs> I had my hand on the trigger. I was I was ready, and then he stopped. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brian, you are kicking this one off. Thank God. All right. Um, first of all, the correct answer is Travis Fimmel from Vikings. Just saying. Um, Don't know who that is. This is a hard one for me. Uh, again, it's like it's like it's hard to judge when there are two very different approaches to the character. Um, like like Jacoby said, uh, with Taron Egerton, you always have to like you, know, you have to change him and bend him to make him the character of who Wolverine is. Uh, whereas as Carl Urban kind of is that grizzled kind of Wolverine now, but then Cody's got his points about how, you know, he's already the age Hugh Jackman was to retired. So if you're looking at this as a franchise and you want this film to kick off more, how long is he going to be able to play the role? That kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's a coin flip. Um, in the end, I, I lean slightly towards Cody ever so slightly. I don't even know. Give me five more minutes. I'll change mine again. <laughs> All right, Scully. Yeah, this was neck and neck for me as well. You had you had like kind of the, the fixed versus growth mindset from both competitors. But I think in the end, Cody was able to bring a more unique argument to the table about having Terran Ten and having a very different Wolverine in this MCU. A younger, uh, a, a drastically different than what we had with the, with the Fox X-Men. Um, I think ultimately he was able to make those points a lot stronger uh than jacoby so it, it was it was neck and neck but i had to go cody something yeah i think the biggest thing i i also voted for cody um i think that it was really close but again at the end of the day kind of what you guys were saying the um the carl urban maybe being that like grizzled look um definitely like kind of fits what we know the character now but like i liked what cody was saying about just because edgerton's never had a role like this before doesn't mean that he couldn't pull something like it off and he kind of gave me he he explained me kind of like a pitch of like where the character would go and how he how it would be utilized and i thought jacoby is take like trying to take that down of being like if you cast Edgerton, like he's just going to be the lead. I think that's overestimating Taron Edgerton's popularity as an actor. And that's something that Jacoby was kind of putting out there and not necessarily like a fact to back it. There's like no facts to back that up. So that didn't like a hundred percent work for me. So that's where Cody kind of slid in. Um, so Cody gets that point. So he is up two to one and we are going to go to the final prep question. Jacoby needs to hit this. Um, in order to stay in it, it is Cody's category, the category of sports. And the question is, which non-fandom movie, baseball player, or coach would you want to teach you the game of baseball? Not the game of life or Monopoly. but the What? Oh, no. I know. Oh, sorry. I did not <laughs> oh. Can I get some more mouths? <laughs> uh so Cody you are going to get to start this one. You have 1 minute when you start talking. Um uh so when the question thing I had to message Tim to make sure I wasn't cheating. Um but I got I picked uh 42. I picked Jackie Robinson. 
Uh, Jackie Robinson, inside the movie, I will do inside the movie, I won't do outside the movie, but inside the movie, he is literally uh, one of the best all-around baseball players that ever played the game. Um, he broke the color barrier. He played in the hardest time that any baseball player has ever had to play in. Um, he had people throwing at him and people trying to trying to just kill him at the plate, and he was able to stay uh collected and strong and do what he needed to do and teach you the fundamentals not only a great fielder but a great base runner but a great uh, hitter um he played all over the field as well um it's if i wanted to learn the game from somebody i need somebody that's going to be there and be patient with me and i think jackie does that as a character throughout this movie he shows that he can be accommodating and help his teammates grow all right uh, we'll move over to jacoby one minute when you start talking. Um, who would I want to teach me the game of baseball? Well, I have some criteria for this because I don't know a lot about baseball. So I want someone with experience, someone with an intimate knowledge of the game who knows it inside and out, who can not only teach me the ins and outs of how to swing better, how to anticipate pitches better, how to catch better, how to read other players better, but also teach me about the heart and soul of baseball. Crash Davis meets this criteria, I think, perfectly. He is literally brought in to teach an inexperienced, wild pitcher how to play the game and he teaches him so well that the pitcher goes on to the major leagues that season he recognizes potential within you and can turn it into something great a fact that's literally proved in my movie Crash Davis adores baseball. He knows everything about baseball, and he knows how to make you love baseball, which is something I need because I don't really love baseball that much. So that's why Crash Davis is the correct choice for who I want to teach me this game. Time. All right. Five-minute free form when one of you starts talking. And no talking over each other, Cody. Yes, correct. Oh, I'll, I'll learn. Um, oh, overall, Jackie Robinson, I think, is overall the best person to tell me. If I needed somebody to catch or teach me how to pitch fully, uh, your guy. But overall, if I wanted a gourmet chef to teach me how to cook, I'd ask a gourmet chef to teach me, not a guy that works at Taco Bell. If your guy's a minor league baseball player that can't teach me at the highest level, my guy is able to teach me at the highest level versus the highest competition and be able to help me get to the actual level. Your guy raised for a call-up. We don't know whatever happens to him, but hopefully he does well in the majors and does great. He also teaches that same pitcher to pitch his fastball over the middle to a person that hits the ball first, looks for fastballs, and he takes them deep. Not a great lesson overall. Um, Cody, I think your choice is baffling for me. Thank you for saying you're choosing Jackie Robinson in the movie because in the movie itself, you picked a 26-year-old in the 1940s who's having his very first season in the major leagues, so he's still learning the game. You pick someone, you keep saying, oh, you said like, oh, you want a gourmet chef to do it because they call him superhuman multiple times, which means Jackie is full of natural talent. And guess what? That's almost impossible to teach someone else. Like Robinson is great at base stealing, but how is he going to teach you that? Tell you to run faster? Crash doesn't have a lot of natural talent even though he does hold the minor league record of number of home runs hit which is a fact that's that's a pretty big accomplishment too and he also has the knowledge to teach you how to be a better player and to understand the game yeah i understand where you're coming from yes he's a young guy he's supernatural but that doesn't mean like supernatural like people that are really talented can't teach other people the game of baseball that's how they grow and how they develop into like coaches and beyond my thing is Jackie Robinson, yes, he has that thing, but he also is going against the hardest competition possible in that season. People are throwing at his head. People are trying to beat him up every chance they get, and he's able to succeed and go through, choke up on the back, get people ready to go, play the field, 
do great things and teach you how to do that. You can teach somebody how to be a baseball player. It is the very thing you can do. And he does that, and he helps his teammates go, and he plays all over the field. You know how he teaches his teammates? By not doing anything. That's his teaching style. His whole movie. You pick someone whose character's the point is told not to engage, not to fight back, to keep his head down. So when he's asked questions, he's either defensive or gives very short, sarcastic answers. So I don't know how he's going to teach me the game because there's barely any evidence to your movie to the contrary. Where in my movie, Crash is doing nothing but teaching Nuke how to play the game and how to treat the game with respect. And then Nuke goes on to the major league. So if I want to pick someone who who's either getting attacked by uh, because of the color of his skin every time he goes and everywhere he goes and is trying to overcome a hurdle or someone who has the, the actual experience of being in the league for over 12 years, then yeah, then I'm going to choose Crash Davis. Minor leagues. Let's remember that. He leads the league in the most home runs because he's in the field that he can't get to the major level. He's been there for 21 days and it's the greatest 21 days of his life. Said in your movie. Overall, my character is, if I wanted somebody to teach me, it doesn't technically in the question tell me I have, they have to have teaching experience in the movie. I want somebody that is, the, is a great player of baseball to teach me the game. I wouldn't want somebody that has been sent down to the minors to get somebody else up that couldn't get himself up. At the end of the day, I think he's a great catcher, and he's great with pitchers, but he doesn't help throughout the field. He can't help anybody else on the field. If I didn't want to be a pitcher, I'm useless to him. I can't play the outfield because he can't play the outfield. I want somebody that can play all over the infield, all over the outfield, and help me become that player. The, one of the first things that Crash Davis says in the movie is it's like he goes up to someone who he hasn't seen in, in five years and he immediately points him out and says, you were pitching for El Paso. I was hitting cleanup. You hung a curveball on an 0-2 pitch in a 3-2 game and I tattoo, tattooed it over the Michelin tire sign, beat you 4-3. to three. That's such a great first introduction because it tells you that Crash Crash is incredibly knowledgeable about baseball, that he's been around for so long that he's experienced, and he's talented in a way that has information to teach you. You said it yourself. We're just like, okay, like I'm using what, like there's no evidence in your movie that he's actually teaching somebody. Branch Ricky in your movie is the one teaching Jackie Robinson how to play this game more. And if I had to pick someone who's being taught how to participate and engage with baseball or someone who is is can teach other people baseball, your argument against um, Crash okay. Davis not going up to the major leagues doesn't matter you're, because you teach other people to do it. Okay. I'm just saying where your your memory of pulling up when he hit a home run off of somebody does not help me become any more of a coach. My guy does not have a coaching experience in the movie. That's correct. But who the question was, who do I want to teach? I want Jackie Robinson to teach me. I want somebody that is going to come at me hard. If I'm in the box and somebody's going to pitch into me hard, I want that person to be Jackie Robinson to teach me how to hit off of adversity. I want that person to go to I want that person to when I'm down in the count to be able to Hit on him. When I'm on base, I want him to be able to tell me the leadoff and how to be able to run back and forth. I want to be able to how to get a better jump in the infield and be able to field. That is what Jackie Robinson could bring to the table. I have no evidence in your movie about that. I don't it know. What I heard about. Hey. Uh, yeah, hey. Okay. Uh, Jacoby, we're going to you first. You have one minute when we start talking. Having Jackie Robinson teach you how to play baseball is like asking Superman to teach you how to bend steel bars. Great in theory, but won't result in anything because you can't be on that level. Throughout the movie, we hear how Jackie is superhuman and has natural talent. But as I tried to say, you can't really teach that. Cody picked an overall 
inexperienced in a game sense, a 26-year-old playing in his first major league season who had outright better things to do. As Cody kept saying, he kept getting thrown at. He kept he, he was dealing with systemic ra racism on top of them. That, so he's a little busy than to try to teach anyone the game. I would rather learn from Crash Davis. Crash is introduced as an experienced teacher that we see from the start to the end of the movie that not only does his teaching methods result in major league success, but we see uh, crash as someone who loves baseball with every fiber of his being. So it doesn't matter that he doesn't get called up. He can instill that into others. So from an experience standpoint, from a knowledge standpoint, from a talent, a teachable talent standpoint, from a love of the game standpoint, Crash Davis is the better answer for who should teach you the game of baseball. Game of baseball. Strike it from the record. Uh, bring up Cody. One minute to close your argument when you start talking. Well, player to teach you the game. They don't have to teach within the movie. They just have to teach you. And I want the character to be able to teach me. Jackie Robinson in that first year learns more about baseball than Crash Davis has in 12 years of baseball. Overall, he can get nuke up to the thing, but major leagues, that's what he probably sent down the next start. That doesn't mean he stays. At the end of the day, he couldn't keep himself up there. He can't teach. He's great at a minor league level, but if I wanted to rise up and be that character, maybe not as level as Jackie Robinson is great because he's superhuman, but I want to be able to learn the game from the person that can play all areas of the field. Help me. Help me on base. Help me at the plate. Help me uh, field the balls. Crash Davis can teach me how to pitch if that's the only area of the game, but there are multiple areas of this baseball game that you need to learn. And Jackie Robinson is a question. Yes, he's learning about some tips. He's getting thrown at. I'm not going to pull him to the side after the game and be like, hey, can you teach me now? No, I just want him to teach me. It's my area of the world. The question is that Jackie Robinson is the perfect answer. I want somebody to be able to teach me how to be a better baseball player. He's the answer. Right. Answer. Strike it from the record. Definitely end on. I don't know about that. Uh, let's bring in the judges. Uh, okay. <laughs> you guys both ready to go and I'm the only one struggling? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. first I don't want to because I hate these uh, this was interesting because Jacoby I thought his opening was really 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 strong um, and I thought that Cody did a really good job of like like it was kind of silly, but like the gourmet chef comparison actually like worked for me. And Cody's like whole thing about like, yeah, like um, um, it doesn't like we don't need to see them teach in the movie. We just need to pick a character that we think could like teach us like that. I mean, is in my opinion technically true. Um, so I I kind of used that as well when thinking about it. Um. This this was tough for me. You guys were very quick. I, I went with Cody. Um, I thought that the other thing that really did work for me was like Jacoby was hammering home this whole thing about how 
Jackie Robinson is super in the movie is superhuman is is like referenced as being superhuman. But I thought Cody did a good job of saying that like those things like those things can get taught and like the point is is that like he went up against literally everything and was successful and those types of things like can like he convinced me that he would be able to then share that with other people moving forward it, it, it was tough because i i liked jacoby's argument too of like just crash being like and i haven't seen that movie um so i i don't know if it was all bullshit or not but his whole thing about just like um crash being just like a guy who like loves the game so much um but also we don't know if like like jacoby relied on the on the fact a lot about how that player that he was like coaching is able to go to the major leagues but we don't know if that like actually worked or not or like that that was another hit from cody that worked for me so again it, it was really tough um and this is also because i also don't know i like watching baseball but i don't know how to fucking play baseball uh so uh brian you're gonna go next uh i went the other way i went jacoby um i thought that jacoby uh was very smart in that he attacked the fact that we're looking at a character in a movie so you're looking at jackie robinson at this point in his life uh when he is just starting out his first season he's inexperienced he's someone who is still being taught Whereas Crash is someone who you see teaching not only the fundamentals and things of the game, but the mental aspects of the game, the respect for the game, the whole concept, things like that. And so I thought that approach is what leaned it in his direction for me. Okay. And uh, Scully, are we moving on to the final or to a speed round, or is it over? Um, I think both competitors had very. I like both of them, by the way. Just, oh. What? No. <laughs> I think both competitors had very very strong arguments. I enjoyed. I, I agreed with a lot of what both were saying, but in the end, because he also hit on the mental aspects and the emotional aspects of the game of baseball, I went with Cody. Because who better, who better than to teach you about all aspects of the game of baseball than the guy who saw it not just from a baseball standpoint, but from but from an, an, a, a stressful, emotional, mental state as well. Uh, think about the time period that he played it in. Um, I think just because he was able to hammer home the points on that, uh, and Jacoby really didn't do that with his uh, with, with his player as well with his coach, um, it just made for a stronger argument for Cody. So that's why I went Cody. All right. Well, that means your winner is Cody Newberry. Uh, we are going to start with talking with Jacoby. Uh, Jacoby, great job. Uh, you came back with a vengeance. Um, I love seeing you debate. It's it's it honestly like it's super exciting because you can just tell that like you know what you're talking about even if you don't know what you're talking about and I love that so much because it's hard for some people to do and uh you just seemed super pre prepared and uh it was really really fun to watch. I just I love watching you debate. Um, so I'm sorry it didn't go your way, but uh, it, it was a great match to watch. How are you feeling about it afterwards? Yeah, no, I, I feel great. It was kind of funny how I kind of came into this match because I haven't debated in a while. I'm just like, okay, you know what? I bet I can be a calm debater. I bet this can be civil, but then I forgot <laughs> that I was arguing Cody and I forgot what I do in matches, which is gets way too excited for my own good. So I don't, I don't know why I, I did that, but no, it's good.
but it's it's bittersweet to lose because it always sucks to lose and stuff. But Cody had great arguments for everything that he had, you know, in my preparation, thinking of how he's going to attack certain things. And like he went ways that, you know, I, I didn't anticipate for, which which kind of threw me off a little bit there. So that means Cody is a great debater, but I had a lot of fun. And I had to like in the honest, like there was I was sad that like I didn't win. But then when it, then the thought of, oh, we don't have to go to a speed round made me kind of happy. So it was, just, it was it's it's kind of the delicate balance. But I had a, I had a great time and it was a lot of fun to to debate Cody. Jacoby, we will for sure be having you back uh, some in some capacity at the beginning of next year. We don't know exactly what, if it's a tournament or um, just another uh, type title picture. We don't know. Uh, right. but we're going to have you back for sure. Uh, is there anybody that you want to go up against uh, next season? Um, now I would say, like before this, I would have said like Cody was like one of the ones who I haven't, you know, debated who's been around for a while. But now there's a lot of new people there that so it's like I think new people would be good people who I don't know about and have a lot of history with, I think would be exciting. Unless Tuig wants to wants to start debating, then I choose him. I have offered him. Uh, I actually offered him this spot, and he said no. Wow! Uh, so <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, it was it was like him, and then Cody were the two as far as like the rankings went. And he said, he said, I think I'm going to take some time off. And I said, you get Cody then. So, and <laughs> Cody was just coming off the title match. I was like, yeah. either of these is going to be disgusting. <laughs> so. <laughs> We'll see if two eggs back next season or not, but but uh, if not, yeah, any anyone, anyone's great. This is always fun. Thanks, guys. Awesome, thank you, Jacoby. Uh, as we bring in Mister Newberry, who won today, uh, I did a thing at the end where um, I decided I was voting for Cody, and so I started writing Cody, and then I did the Nick thing where I wrote longer than I normally. Yeah, and he rolled his eyes. He's like, because oh. I saw him roll his eyes when I finished writing because he thought I wrote Jacoby because it's longer. <laughs> <laughs> you got oh, me. We you definitely me. got me. I'm an um, evil man. But anyway, uh, Cody, uh, you win today. Not quite a knockout, but um, you didn't have to go to the bonus question. Um, and you won a question that Jacoby drafted as well. So really good performance today. Um, how are you feeling? Um, I'm, I feel okay. Okay. Um, Jacoby's the one per like me and Jacoby's like history in this these league started on the like probably the most rocky side of ever. Like what? and I was the I was the calmest person in that and I still carried so much heat from it. But I've always liked Jacoby as a person. I did not want to get to the speed round against Jacoby because Jacoby is like scary. Like I probably was more scared of this match than Kirk. Because Kirk knows what he knows, and he picks those good characters. We pick things we all like, liked into a regard. And I knew, even though I picked Jackie and I knew I had arguments, I knew he had something for it, and I thought it could have went in either way. Uh, so Jacoby's a fantastic debater. I hope to never see him again. Uh, but overall, I think he's just – I think he's great. Um, I now, like, apologize. It's no real shot at Jacoby, but I apologize to Brian and everybody else. When we make those facial expressions, I've done a really good job since Brian brought that up, but I now have face like the king of it, and it fucking pissed me off. So I apologize to everybody that I've ever done that to. He got under my skin really well. He worked, and, and I just, when he won the first one, when I thought confident in the first one, I knew I had to turn it on in the next three because I didn't want to speak. So all in all, with that saying, 
Uh, I think I did okay. I think there was areas that I could have improved, but Jacoby was able to push me outside my comfort zone a lot during this fight. And if you guys would have voted for him on any of the three, I would have understood it completely. And some of you guys did. So it like made sense. Like I think we both put everything out there, especially after question one, um, and did our best at the debate. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't know what the future holds for me in this league, but I if Jacoby's not challenged for the belt by the end of the year next year, like that's crazy to me. Because I think he is by far top three debater in this league, without a doubt. Yeah. No, uh, Cody, like I I said to Jacoby, we know that you're going to be back next season. You're either going to be a high-ranked person in a a tournament sense or you're going to be in another title-esque picture. Um, So is there anybody that you want to play? Is it just to get back to Kirk, or is there anybody you want to see along the way? I don't want to sound cocky. I really don't. It's going to to come out sounding cocky. I don't want anybody in particular because I I want Kirk. Like Kirk is the measuring stick, and I lost by a question against Kirk. Like if we look down, and I lost on the very last question against Kirk in a title match. So anybody I play, I don't think is going to have enough to beat me because all I want is to go. I've I've thought about Roy Batty more than I've ever thought about anything else since a match, and um, and I mean that means a passion for him. That means I want to play. That means I want to do this, and I, I think I'm good at it, but. I want to destroy him. Um, so, like, Nazario, Coho, Brooklyn, Stepping Stones. So, if you don't give me a number one contenders match, just help me get my record up to a higher spot. So, um, but I will be playing Kirk sometime next year. Guaranteed. Awesome. All right. Well, I look forward to it and I look forward to seeing what you do next, Cody. Uh, let's get final thoughts from Mr. Scully. Yeah, this was really, really fun. I think both competitors came with a lot of fire, a, a, a lot of passion. Um, it got a lot of hand at times, but they were able to, to reel it in. Thankfully, no one had to, to step in and break them apart. Um, but yeah, strong arguments all the way around. There really wasn't one that I thought was a major landslide. I think even even in sports where Cody, knowledge-wise, has a significant advantage, Jacoby had a great argument for it. Um, so I think... Both competitors showed why they are two of the best in the league. And if you're any other competitor uh, facing either uh, Jacoby or Cody down the line, um, say your prayers because they're both both nasty. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and Brian, final thoughts from you. Yeah, I think it's a a tough draw for both of them, especially Jacoby who's coming off of a a little bit of layoff since his last appearance here. And uh, he gets to come back in his first ones against Cody. And I, I think it's just a matter of you get to a certain point, you know, when, you, when you've gotten so good that you're only going to be facing the higher level competition, it's like, you know, you don't get any easy matches anymore. Um, so it was, it was tough, but it also resulted in one of the best debates that I've gotten to judge. Cause I mean, uh, they each had, I think one clean sweep and then the other ones were split, but even the ones that they swept it, I don't think anything was a, was a blowout like Thomas was saying. Um, so I enjoyed it. Um, I did. I will say I did enjoy watching uh, Cody get some of his own medicine when Jacoby starts making the faces and stuff like that, you know, so I enjoyed that a little bit. But. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, guys, thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Cody and Jacoby and Brian and Scully for judging this one with me. Uh, we're going to be back soon uh, with more matches, so be on the lookout for everything coming up, including the, uh, the title match, because we totally know who – Kirk is playing soon. Uh, So uh, we'll see you guys soon with more matches. Until then, thank you so much for watching. We'll see you next time. There we go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.